Welcome to AM. My name is Richard Conway, and this is the platform for age group multi-sport athletes to showcase their journeys. Welcome back to episode 35 and on this episode we speak to my teammate from WBC, the World's Breakfast Club, Karen Hames. And I've known Karen for a number of years and I've been wanting to get her on the podcast for quite a long time and we finally got round to sitting down face to face and that's, that's another first, sat down face to face and doing an interview which was fantastic. Um... And although I know Karen very well, like I say, I've known her for a long time, um, it's amazing that although you think you know someone, um, it's amazing to find out the incredible stories that they have. Um, And I was fascinated by Karen's background, because as she was growing up, um, at three she was diagnosed as being deaf. Uh, I think it was due to a bout of German measles. Um, so I think she'd had a bit of a tough time as a kid and obviously back in the day things weren't as uh, technologically advanced as they are now but she explains it a lot better than I ever could so uh, but fascinating story Um, and it's something that she's done throughout her life sport and uh, to this day she's absolutely brilliant and we're at the club we're uh, totally inspired by what she's achieved so so I hope you enjoy that um, well, we're at the end of the Olympics. That was a bit of a disappointment, really. Great Olympics. Um, especially enjoyed, like I said previously, the, the triathlon and the cycling. Um, so now I'm watching a bit of the last Grand Tour of the year in the cycling, um, which is the Vuelta in Spain. And also enjoyed the fi- Grand Final over in Edmonton um, this weekend. Just gone where both Olympic champions, male and female, became world champions. I don't think that's ever been done before. Um, that was Heston Blumenthal for the men and Flora Duffy for the women. Um, and it was, it was a great race. And Alex Yee did really well in the men's. He had a terrible swim in the grand final, but his run was absolutely amazing. He was down by well over a minute after they got off the bike, and I think he finished about... 25 seconds behind he had an absolutely stonking 10k run and he finished I think just outside the top 10 in 11th place Uh, so great race and Sophie Caldwell also did well I think she came fifth Uh, pardon me if that's not right it's either fifth or seventh I can't remember Uh, but she had a she had a great race and uh, top Brit there so fantastic uh, to see her doing so well um, what else we've been doing? Oh, we're, well, in about four weeks' time, we're supposed to be racing um, at the ETU Triathlon Sprint Championships um, over in Valencia. And we've got our hotels booked and we've got the flights booked. But there's still some uncertainty as to what's going to go on with travel um, because there's rumours that Spain are going to go back into red. They're amber at the moment. Um, 
and also some confusion about the tests that you've got to take and which tests you need to take so we're uh, we're hanging fire at the minute um, so we'll just have to see what happens because it's not it's not very clear and I guess I think Boris is pronouncing on the 25th um, and then after that we'll we'll probably have a better idea of what's going on but as of now we're still gonna go um, so it'll be nice to get back racing although I've still got this calf nickel which doesn't seem to want to go away um, so I'm just concentrating on biking and swimming at the moment and we'll see how it carries on and then I watched Tim O'Donnell the um, professional um, Ironman athlete and didn't realise that Teed had a heart attack during um, Challenge Miami back in March uh, just seen his YouTube video I'll give that a watch the first part anyway and um, yeah it was amazing he was he was in the middle of this Challenge Miami race on the bike not feeling so great and apparently he had 80% blockage and um, he managed to finish the race rang his wife, wife up and said he wasn't feeling too great and then she said, well, ring the doctor up, see what he says. So he rung the doctor up and the doctor said, get yourself to hospital. So he did. And they found that he had an 80% blockage. Um, so he was operated on, got a stent fitted. And um, fortunately, he lives to lives to tell the tale. And I haven't listened to the other part of it yet, but it was very emotional, the first part that he's put out. Um, and I can testify to physically and and mentally it's um not putting you in a great place uh, having a heart attack so but uh great to see he's all right and it'll be interesting to see the second part and see what his thoughts are about um carrying on and whether he'll go back to racing or not uh, yeah bit of a shocker that one but it just goes to show it uh doesn't matter how fit you are um even if you've got a great healthy lifestyle, like I'm sure Tim has, um, genetics can play a massive part. Uh, and then finally, lifestyle hack this week is the benefits of um, water. I've uh, done quite a lot of research into water over the last few years. Um, so see what you think of that. Very interesting topic. It might give you some food for thought. Or if not food for thought, some drink for thought. <laughs> anyway, coming up next is Karen's story. Hope you enjoy it. She's a lovely lady. And um, I'll see you on the other side. Thank you, first and foremost, for coming on and um, spending your time with us. Much appreciated. So we'll start off with a little bit about your background and what you used to do growing up as a kid, sporting-wise. Uh, yes, both athletes um, so I remember my early my memories really of being taken down to King George Stadium in a playpen and told to stay in there and behave while my parents were coaching I must have been three or four years right. old yeah and um, when my parents were down there coaching and then obviously when I began to run I used to join in the coaching sessions 
at the um, at the stadium. Yeah. Met my brother as well, and um, I think that's probably really been cemented from a very early age that running was good for you and you know training was good for you and my parents were sort of semi celebrities I suppose for want of a word in Grimsby mm-hmm. whereas a lot of people used to follow their athletic careers and um, my mum was um, well in fact she was one place out for getting to the Melbourne Olympics in 1956 Wow! Um, she was Northern Counties 100 and 200 metres champion for a number of years. My father was um, a cross-country runner and he used to he used to work at Immingham in the early 50s, 60s mm. and he used to run to work 13 miles there and 13 miles back. You know, yeah. um, so he, they, were, they were quite photographed. I've mm-hmm. got lots of photographs at home of them running in various championships yeah. and you know locally as well there's one of my father that springs to mind down Scartha Road running to work and he'd get changed in his suit because he was a shipping clerk in those days right. and um, get changed into his suit work a day and then run home 13 miles you know he Incredible. was nothing in yeah. those days so yeah, yeah. so yeah so it's always been kind of embedded in a very early age really because my parents were both sporty mm. um, and consequently once I got into primary and secondary school uh, I just enjoyed sport mm. it was a natural thing mm. so uh, I think it was slightly because of my disability if you like mm. that I wanted to go out there and be number one Yeah, and um, uh, so that and, and people, because I so probably suffered a, quite a lot of abuse in the, well, I can remember in the primary school and infant school, where people used to sort of used to get, used to get called deaf head. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, just for those listening, can you just explain oh, yes. what is yes. the disability? Uh, well, do you call, it, do you call hours, it a disability? I, yeah. Do you call it a disability? Um. What, what's, well, it, what's, it, what's it known as? I mean, you've got to be very careful these days. I think you, you what, have. What, what you... What you label you, things. Yeah. Well, it, probably not. A, it was a disability in those days. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I'm only... I'm talking in 50s and 60s yeah. language here, not up to date. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was diagnosed when I was three, a bilateral hearing impairment. Right. Which was brought on by an episode of German measles. Oh. And um, initially, my parents didn't realise what had happened until I started to fall behind at school, and then they went into uh, investigations of how what was happening, mm. and took take me to see various specialists. In fact, one comes to mind. Um, in fact, I have a letter still that uh, says it was actually a, a, a doctor a local doctor where my mother took me and um, they said said that um, I needed to go I was pretending to be deaf and I needed to go and visit a child psychiatrist no way <laughs> um, but fair play to my mum my, my parents really they <clears throat> took me to various specialists um, and in fact one 
the doctor at the time wanted to send me to the uh, Doncaster school for the deaf. And my mother said, no, she's intelligent. She can go through the state system, mm. you know, but she just needs a bit of support. Mm. So that's uh, so that was in the early days. Uh, obviously, children being children, and I stood out differently. Yeah. And the hearing aids were very different. They mm. were very visual mm. in those days. So I used to have two wires coming down the back of my ears mm. and a great big box hanging on the front of my school jumper. Yeah. So consequently, people used to pull the um, the hearing aids out mm. and think it was funny. Yeah. You know, so you see so kind of, I don't know what they would call it these days, but well, anyway, it, I just, it obviously didn't affect me. No. It was just one of those things. Yeah. So when I got into secondary school, uh, well, I'm primary and secondary school, and obviously I was good at sports. I did most of these sports, mm. you know, athletics, hockey, netball, all the teams in the school. Mm. So all of a sudden, um, sort of my image went up in the eyes of other kids yeah, you're thinking oh she's yeah. really good at sport yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it gives you um, that it gives you that platform then doesn't it all right yeah and then the, the, because you are good at sport or you're good at something yeah. people look past that's right you know, yeah what is that's right absolutely so um so yes yeah, so that was a, a way of sort of me showing the world that yeah. actually I'm good at sports and yeah. I'm not stupid no. and you know I have to wear hearing aids to hear yeah. um so yeah that's how so then I went on then to it's almost sort of then went on to play netball for the county mm. and tennis for the county um and I've always I've always been a runner whether yeah. it's been competitive or just to keep fit yeah uh, not a particularly good one, but <laughs> sort of. You don't do too bad. Um, you know, so it's it's really been there from the word go. Mm. Yeah. So how did you? Why why tennis and netball then? Why, um, and not athletics as you as your mum and dad did. Uh, that was the. I don't know really. That was. Um, I was good at netball, and uh, in fact, I did the county trials and mm. got chosen for the county. Um, and I was quite a good tennis player as well. I used to go and you know play tennis on a regular basis. Um, I'm not sure, but what where the athletics fell down. But you know, like having said that, I still continued on running. Mm. Um, and then when I got into my twenties, early twenties, I saw a chap called. Um, well, actually, I was. I was quite a good horse rider as well in those days. So when I was in my early 20s, I saw a chap called Jim Fox win a medal at the modern pentathlon. Mm. And so I jumped up to my mother and said, I can do that. Right. <laughs> and um, so then off I went. Um, so I could already swim. Yeah. I, I was a member of a local swimming club. Yeah. Um, I could ride. So that was that ticked off. I uh, could run, and so I just needed to fen to learn to fence mm. and shoot. So I joined a local uh, fencing club, and uh, and then I had uh, a lovely chap who used to come and coach me for the shooting, mm. and um, in this it was in a small bore pistol club, and he used to come and do my shooting coaching, and um, 
Yeah, so um, I then went down to Bracknell, to the Nationals, and in those days there was not a lot of pentathlon. The pentathlon clubs were mainly down south, mm. so it was all sort of an individual thing, really, that I, I, um, I did. Um, it's basically off my own back. Yeah. And um, on a very amateur basis. Uh, but anyway, we all went down there to the Nationals and um, it was really exciting because after the riding, I was up in first position. Because I, I, you have to, you get given the horses and you've got 20 yeah. minutes. I've seen, in, I've seen in the modern pentathlon, the Olympics, uh, I was watching a bit of that because the Brits did really well, didn't they? Yeah. But I didn't realise that you, you didn't ride your own horse. No, you don't. No. How weird is that? Yeah, we had army horses yeah. from the, the Bracknell. And it's a, you, you basically pick your yeah. piece of paper out of a hat. Do you know why that is? Uh, well, it's um, supposed to be kudos to your riding ability. Right. Right. So you've got 20 minutes to ride the horse mm -hmm. before you go in the ring. Yeah. And um, it's your riding. It's down to your riding ability to be able to communicate to the horse really yeah. in that very short time um and also there is a little bit of luck mm. because if you and the horse um you know have a quick relationship where you know it's listening to you and us and doing what you ask mm. then you're more likely to sort of come out so on, what did you do give him a lump of give, sugar give him a lump of sugar yeah 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 uh, yeah, so that was quite exciting, but then I gradually started to fall down the line uh, once the um, the fencing and the... Um, I didn't do too bad in the shooting mm. and the swimming I was okay, but I was probably ended up... and I was about midfield. Yeah. Uh, but a totally enjoyable, brilliant sport, but um, it does need quite a bit of funding as yeah, well. So, imagine, you yeah. know... Um, I didn't, it was probably about four years and then I decided to move on a bit really. Yeah. So that was your first foray into multi-sport then? It was my first foray into multi-sport yeah. and then that obviously, it's been in me now, when yeah. obviously when I then transitioned to um, triathlon. Yeah. So from from that then, what did you do next? What was the next um, sport? Well, I sort of was... I was still playing netball mm. and still playing tennis well into my 30s and 40s. Right. Um, and then in my 40s, I met my now husband, mm -hmm. and uh, we, who was a, a very good sailor and previously not having any interest in sailing whatsoever. Um, it was quite strange because it coincided with a, a good friend of mine decided to go dinghy sailing and asked me to go with her um, and to cut a long story short she ended up giving up and I carried on mm. so then I bought a couple of dinghies and went to the local reservoir and was practicing um, and then I, obviously I met my now husband uh, who had actually been oh. a world-class sailor right um, he sailed in the World Championships and the Hobie World Championships in the 70s. So, and now it's sort of little mini me saying, would you like to go sailing? <laughs> I think I was sort of well below, well below yeah. his 
capabilities. Um, and then really we did, um, we sort of pushed the boat out, so to speak, and we bought a very high performance dinghy mm. between us, uh, which has a twin trapeze. So you have to hang out on the gunwale of the boat to balance it. Mm -hmm. And it had um, a small spinnaker, which is an extra sail got on the front, which is was my job to pull in and out. Yeah. Um, we used to practice a lot with it because it was very kind of kind of tippy. And in fact, the people at the sailing club used to watch us, and I think they were putting money on how many times we were going to capsize. <laughs> yeah. um, and we went on and we did sort of the UK circuits mm. and the national championships in that. And, you know, we did, we ended up doing quite well. But, yeah. uh, yes. Um, yeah, that was, in fact, it needed me to be, um, I did do some boxing. I went to a guy that um, was a boxing coach in locally. Well, he is ex-professional. Um, I used to train a lot with um, with a boxer, you know, mainly for upper body strength, mm. which was needed mm. for dinghy sailing. Um, so I, uh, yeah, so I sort of upped my training, really, to try and improve my dinghy sailing skills, yeah. as it were. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And Chris is still sailing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so... so so after this, after, obviously, do you, do you still sail a bit with Chris? Yes, I do. Yeah, you've still got that. Yes, yeah. yeah. So how did we get into, um, was there anything else between sailing and finding uh, triathlon then? Well, I'm not, no, I don't think there is, because we, I was in my probably mid-40s, mm. late-40s, when we decided, I'd had quite a, a nasty accident with the boat, right. which, which was a hospital visit. Um, what happened there then? Yeah, it's, uh, it, we were in some very heavy winds at the time and, um, and, and I swung, well, the boat tipped and I swung round and basically kissed the mast right. um, into free fall. So uh, I, it was kind of put me off a little mm. bit. But in that, in that sense, it got to the point where we were... Uh, we were getting a bit long in the tooth mm. for, for sailing that particular boat yeah. and we decided to, that, to call it a day and after that a mem one of my, member of my family did the London Triathlon in uh, I think it must have been in well we know about 80 oh, about 99 98 mm. 99 somewhere like that Um and I remember going down to watch it and thinking, well, I quite like the look of this, you know. I can't ride a bike, but I can soon learn to ride a bike. Yeah. Um, I can do swimming, I can do the running. And um, so that really, it was about 48 or 49 when I started triathlon. Right. And I just joined our local triathlon club. And, and then the rest is history, really. Yeah. Was that Grimsby? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. It was, um, it just barely been founded by a local doctor. Mm. And there was, I was slightly embarrassed because there was only, it was quite male oriented. Yeah, yeah, I can <laughs> yeah. 
and um, I think there was only about probably three ladies that were um, that were members, mm. and um, and I can remember getting, going out on their cycling. I kept getting continuously dropped off the back of a group because mm. obviously the guys were quite good cyclists yeah. and. You know, I'd probably turn up an hour later in the pub, you know. Are you all right then, Karen? Well, that's, yeah, well, that's standard, isn't it? When you just, you're just just learning, you're going out with an established group. It's, yeah. Or people that can cycle, you know. It's, it is what it is, isn't it? Mm. So I used to rumble in about half an hour, an hour later, when everybody had gotten on the second pint. <laughs> so what uh, events did you do in the early days then? What was around? Because I can't imagine it was very, very... Uh, sort of like popular or well-known spot. No, it wasn't. Um, the first event I ever did was Driftfield Triathlon, mm. and I got a DQ right. for running around the playing field in the wrong direction. No. <laughs> so it wasn't a very encouraging no. start. Um, no. And um, I did a few local triathlons. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, and then I went to do the uh, down to um, Rotherham mm. to do a multi sport festival down there. And it was then at that triathlon that I realised that I was quite competitive with, there was some age groupers sort of emerging. Was that the first time you come across age groupers? Yes, right? yes, yeah. it was. Did it nobody was... in the club? No. There wasn't? No. No. Um, there was um, somebody there was somebody at Rotherham that said to me uh, in fact they're still around now said to me oh you're quite good why don't you do age grouping so I, of course I said oh well what's that mm. and they said, they said well look at your time you know you sort of in your age group you're second, second or third mm. I can't remember exactly but they said your time's really good why don't you do a qualification race and that's how it how it so back in those days back in those days because there was computers yeah did you did did you find out from the computers then uh, yes now you can just go on can't you and find, yeah find yeah. all the information you need was it the same yes it was uh, yeah, yeah. It was, you could yeah, it was, it was, they had it all up and running yeah it was your old Amstrad computers yeah yeah no, that was pretty good then yeah. yeah. So it wasn't too difficult to find out what you needed. No, to do. no, you didn't. You certainly didn't get the results as quick as you no. do now. No. You know, and even live, in fact. Yeah. Um, you had to sort of wait, you know, a week or so before mm. you could you could see that. Yeah. Uh, but obviously at the at the event you could you got a time mm. and what have you. So. And was there less women in racing then? There was then? less women in racing yeah. then. Yeah. Um, and um, yes, there was less women. Yeah. And and then um, even if you look at the uh, the groups um, in the age group racing com then compared to now, mm. it, it was tiny. Yeah. yeah it, really tiny. Yeah. And, and um, you know the briefings were always on a beach or in the local bar. Mm. And there's nothing like um, like nowadays when you're in a conference hall or mm. whatever. Mm. Um, so it was so much more relaxed in those days. You know, it's a little bit more formal now because the age group teams are so big. Yeah, more competition, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I'd be, that's probably because triathlon in itself or multi-sport in itself become more popular and it's more accessible I guess yeah and I also think that the Brownlee brothers did a lot yeah, I definitely. think they brought the focus yeah, of, I think from 2012 in the yes, Olympics that yes. was the kickstarter wasn't it yeah, it was, uh, yeah. not only for triathlon multi-sport but also for cycling as well I think it was the same yes yeah absolutely yeah. yeah so what was uh, how did you decide what you were going to qualify for for your um, first and what race did you have to do to qualify yes i did they did do qualifying races yeah. in those days yeah. um and the first one that i qualified was was in spain in pancho vedra right um and um and that was a bit of an eye-opener mm. for the first time round. And how did it feel when you, well, obviously, you did your qualifying race, you qualified, and you got your suit and everything. How did that feel when you, you'd you actually done it? Uh, well, actually, it was quite exhilarating. Yeah. It was quite exhilarating, yeah. thinking, well, I've got a GB suit, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, obviously, the family were quite thrilled. Mm. In fact, my mother was very thrilled. I bet she was, yeah. Yeah, she was very thrilled when you know when it when it happened. Um, and yes, uh, the but the actual event was was um, was exhilarating as well because it was it was all new, it was all exciting, and mm. it was in a in a different country. Yeah. So from that first race to now, what what sort of changed? Like, was it harder back then to get it all set up and take your bike over and everything, or is it is it was it just the same as it is today? Um, yeah, well, it's just really just the, the same. same. Yes, uh, and I remember in Pontevedra there were the Brownies were racing. Were they? Yeah, and um, so of course everybody once we'd finished, we went to like watch them. Yeah, yeah, it was very very hot. Yeah. And um, but yes, um, I mean there were several several other races that I did mm. um, during that time. But I I just wanted to really be the best I could be. Yeah. For, for, for you know. And I think that's me. what it's all about, isn't it? Being being the best you can be on the well on the day. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And um, I just think that. It's a good to have life in perspective. It's, for me, it's not all about triathlon. Mm. It's about other things yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, triathlon is one of them. Mm. And um, I've got other interests. And uh, I just think it's a really nice balance to have mm. to do other things mm. other than triathlon. Yeah, because it can become all-encompassing, can't it? You know? Uh, it, it can be and I know some very good athletes certainly of my age group uh, some very very good athletes and it can be all, all encompassing mm. um, but it depends what how you prioritise life yeah. do you want I don't want to be spending every hour of my day training no. um, but I just do in, I do enough to satisfy myself yeah. and stay fit and healthy Yes. That's the key, isn't it? That it is really? the key, Richard. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. And I, I love personally love the diversification of the, the three sports where you're not just doing yeah. one. You can actually well if you don't feel like going for a run, you can go for a swim or yes. 
yeah. vice versa right you go for a bike ride and it doesn't yeah. have to be anything to no. do with like your planner and you just go out can't just you? go out and enjoy yourself yeah, yeah exactly. and, the, and the people you meet as well i think is it's yeah i mean i've met loads of people in yeah. triathlon um really interesting i mean in the early days particularly uh i had to focus on my swim a little bit to try and improve my swim I was taught um, in the old swimming methods in the 60s, early 60s, um, the um, swimming, um, which has changed. Mm. In fact, um, it's, a, it's a learned thing with me now. It's, it's the old keyhole pull with the yeah. um, front crawl, yeah. which has completely changed now. Um, so that was difficult to try and, in fact, I probably still do it a little bit. It's mm -hmm. difficult to try and unlearn that, having been taught that as a child. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, there's, um, but I think the fact that, that you have, or I have been involved so much doing different sports, you can be, you can do anything you want. Mm -hmm. You can do anything you want that you put your mind to. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, that's a great um, attitude to have as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it. Yeah. Yeah. So how many times have you represented GB now? Uh, 11. 11 times. Yeah. What's one, been your favourite race? Uh, one was unofficial. I actually started but didn't finish because I ended up in hospital in Austria. I remember that. I remember, yeah. Um, so that I've, I've I've actually included that one, yeah. which which I was a starter, yeah. but I certainly wasn't a finisher. No. No. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. What's been your favourite race? I think my favourite race was probably in Turkey. Mm. That was, um, and it certainly was my favourite party. <laughs> it was an absolutely fantastic party we had afterwards they put they absolutely pushed the boats out yeah. they really did it was like a wedding reception really? it was brilliant yeah, yeah. so yeah. If, the, if the turkish do another triathlon get over there get over there richard because <laughs> they know how to celebrate yeah. oh yeah absolutely brilliant yeah. absolutely brilliant you've done really well this year haven't you Yes, yeah, you've done not really bad. well. You not entered bad. three age group races, I did, and you've qualified for all three. Yes, yeah. How do you determine usually what races that you want to enter? Um, you mean you mean the international ones? Yeah, or the, the, the GB. Um, say you want to go and qualify for how do how do you work out what what race you want to go and race? Um. Well, really, I, I don't really kind of have any particular plan as such. Mm. I have a, a kind of a loose plan, mm. if you like. Um, but I think I I think what you have to look at is what you're good at, mm. you know, what you're best at mm -hmm. in the in the terms of distances. Yeah. Um, I'm not a long distance fan. No. And I, that proved it when I did once did a... Uh, a middle distance and mm. I thought I'm too keen on this yeah. it's a bit long for me yeah. I've probably got more fast twitch than slow twitch really and so I've sort of st stuck to the standard and sprint distance mm. distances mm. Um, I've probably having gone round 
round the ring with it, I think I probably now prefer the sprint distance to the standard mm. distance. Um, but having said that, um, I just think it just pushes me a little bit more to to do a slightly longer distance. Um, it's it's only really the the um, I've probably given out secrets to my competitors, but uh, it's, it's only really because I'm only my weakest discipline is really my run, yeah. believe it or not. Yeah. And um, so it I, is that is a bit strange actually, considering where you come <laughs> from, your background. That, that you you know we've come full circle, haven't we? Because it goes back to your parents yeah. and how Everybody good that's been. Oh, what happened there? Then? Yeah, what happened there? <laughs> Yeah, that is that is weird because it's normally you take those traits on, isn't it? The genetics are there, and you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that must just mean that your swimming and biking's fabulous. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Not sure about that. But anyway, it gets me by. Well, it does more than get you by. by. I mean, you like you say, you qualified for the three that you you yes. went in, so that's really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how how did COVID and not being able to race affect you? Did, didn't did. affect me at all no. um i i just carried on i had a break from training yeah. which for me is really important psychologically mm. not to have to think i've got to train today yeah. and i'm sure everybody goes through it sometimes you get up in the morning and you just don't want to train yeah. um and i had you know i had a bit of a break knowing that there were, there were no races happening so I really concentrated on my my other hobbies mm. um, and sort of spent more time developing that really yeah. uh, and but during the winters I just sort of was on a, like a maintenance program so that it just kept up my swim <clears throat> bike and run fitness yeah. I put on a quite a low level mm. um, when I did I did notice though um, this year when I did the first qualifying race in back in May that it does certainly affect your fitness when you're not competing mm. and um, I found that first race actually although it was only sprint distance I found it quite tough yeah yeah um, so you do lose that race sharpness, sharpness that, mm. um, that 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 was I suppose Covid affected yeah. but it was no big deal no. compared to what else was going on in the Absolutely. world and it's the same for everybody as well. We're yes. all on, on that. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so, if you had any advice to give to new athletes who want to get into triathlon and people in triathlon who, who want to do age, what would you what would you suggest? Um, well, uh, the first thing I would definitely suggest is to somebody coming in is to join a club because you get an, a lots and lots of support from your club members mm. um, and also it gives you open to uh, uh, coaching sessions and uh, advice that club members can give you. Um, I think it probably would be really difficult to, to try to, to raise age group um, not having come from a club background so that's what I would say absolutely um, a club is your first port of call. Yeah, yeah, it's great yeah. advice. And have you always been in a club yourself? Um, yes, I have. Mm. Um, I um, yes, or everything that I've really done 
I, I've come from a club background of some description. Yeah. I think it's uh, quite important sometimes to have that support if you may be going through a bit of a rough phase, you know, in your training, mm. um, or you're injured, or you know anything like that. I think it's um, important that you get the support from your club mates to get you through that. Yeah. And, and then back on your feet again to back racing yeah 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 it's certainly a, a booster when you're feeling a bit uh, and the other thing is for me um, with Kate being into triathlon as well yeah you know we can pull each other through yeah like yeah yeah one night she might come in and, and I don't feel like going swimming and she's yeah. going swimming that gives me a kick up the arse to say yeah, just go oh, along and do it. Definitely, you know, so that, that, yeah. that helps as well. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm afraid my husband doesn't. Um, he he said tells me that triathlon's boring. Yeah, as a spectator sport, makes yeah. me laugh. Yeah. Um, but then saying that he's he's very good at supporting in other yeah. ways. You know, he's sort of uh, particularly on the bike. He's a, a quite a good cyclist himself. Yeah. So. Uh, on the bike front definitely yeah. um, and um, he tends to sort of choose whether or not to come with me to any of the international events but mm. it all depends whether if it focuses around a marina he's there <laughs> <laughs> well you've got to get something out of it himself yeah, hasn't exactly. it? You know? exactly. I mean I can understand where he's coming from saying it's boring because on some courses you go out on the swim, yes, you don't do. see it. Don't you go out on the bike, you don't see it. And even some of the runs, you don't. You, no. It's only when no. they pass you or they cross no. the finish line, you don't see it. But some of them, like we were at Targu Muir's, and that was great because it was just loops. Yes. It was a duathlon as well, so there was no swim. But the kids and Kate could see us running yeah. around. And, you know, that's probably yeah. the best race yeah. for that, yeah. for, for spectators. Is, is I, think, um, I think after... Um, the episode in Austria, mm. I think that put him off for life, really. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you do, I guess you just feel so helpless, yeah. don't you? Yeah, do yeah, absolutely, no. absolutely, Richard. Mm. Yeah. So, what's your favourite bit of kit that you've got? Bit of kit? Yeah. Oh. Uh, I suppose um, my favourite bit of kit, I suppose, would be my bike. Mm. I, I guess everyone must say that. Yeah, that's yeah, been so the most common much, answer. It's about the biggest thing yeah, that we own, well, it isn't is, it? Yeah, yeah. And probably the most ex yeah. thing that we spend most of our yeah, money on. I think so. Absolutely. Um, I've got um, an old a bike actually that I rode in the um, twenty thirteen World Championships mm. in London, and yet and going back there, that was one of another one of my favourite races mm. that was brilliant because all the family could come down yeah. and watch yeah. um, and um, and I've got another bike going back to 2013 which I still have and it is still is as good as the most up to date one I have mm. so it's not about the bike mm. it's about the engine that's driving <laughs> it <laughs> I like that yeah. yeah you've still got to put the effort in doesn't matter mm. if you've got all the, the fancy yeah. kit if you haven't yeah. You haven't done the yeah. training, you're going to get found exactly. out, aren't you? Yeah. 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 What, um, what are your favourite like resources to books or blogs or podcasts or that you, you go to um, for information and to help? 
Um, I'm not. Um, I'm. A, I'm a, actually a great fan of keeping things simple, mm. and I'm not into all this um, sort of blogging and stuff on, you know, sort of bigs up different training methods yeah. and and that kind of thing. Or you do this differently, you'll rise faster. And I think the big thing is consistency mm. and and keeping it simple. Mm. Um, I don't think there's really anything more I can say that um, uh, if I need any advice, I generally ask a, one of my friends in the triathlon club or, yeah. you know, somebody that could help me in that way. Mm. Um, I suppose with with having it's a difference between having an athletic background and a non-athletic background in that your athletic background tends to provide you with most of the answers mm. whereas somebody coming from a non-athletic mm. background would need more support in in the help in coaching uh and the blog and maybe magazines mm. and needed perhaps to you know to yeah. get information um if I've got any specific, I mean, uh, it's the best thing to do really is to try and ask somebody who's an expert in that field. Yeah. If you really want to ask a question, yeah. and I and have you know got the answer they're going to give you. Well, the answer they'll give you depends. Depends <laughs> on yeah the amount of things right I've listened to yeah. and the experts that come on, and they all say it depends. Yeah, it does. Because everybody's does. different. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. That's, I mean that's fair enough, isn't it? If you know yeah. you. I think it's experience as well, isn't it? It is. You know, you're the, the longer right. you've been doing this, the more experience you have, and you know what works and what doesn't work. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. But I, that, I haven't said that. I still still make silly silly errors. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the, in racing. Even the pros do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I still think, oh, why didn't I do that? Or yeah. I always do that. Why did I change it? Yeah. You know, they got to. Yeah. Uh, but then, that's all part of the. Um, the palette, if you like, of racing. It is. Yeah. Little bit to talk about, a bit yeah. different, you know. Yeah. So, last question is what are your short and long term goals? <sighs> the short term goals is to short, my short term goal is to try and. Uh, knock a 30 seconds a minute off my 5k run time right. but I'm not going to put myself on the line it's not it's not that important to me mm. um, but it would be wonderful if I did mm -hmm. you know with um, but then you've got to come with the consistency of training yeah. um, but my long-term goal really I suppose is to improve my um position in the field uh if i can yeah. you know with the amount of time i've got and the resources i've got if i can i'll be delighted yeah. if not i'll just Keep carry on. on enjoy meet some new people mm. and you know keep healthy and fit yeah and enjoying the process yes enjoy the process yeah, yeah. fabulous well thank you ever so much for taking your time out today and 
sharing your story. It's been great. Listen, <laughs> I mean, I, I know you, you're a club mate, but I didn't know all of that. So oh. even for me to, to oh, learn right. a bit more about you is, is great. So thank you ever so much. You're very welcome. Uh, what a great chat we had. Um, a few cups of coffee. She even bought me some um, roasted coffee beans round. Because on our track sessions on a Saturday morning, we invite people back to ours and um, we grind our grind our own coffee beans and um, make everybody some nice coffee. So <laughs> she's always threatened on bringing some coffee beans around, and sure enough, she did. So that was uh, that was that was funny. But yeah, great story. I hope you enjoyed that um, as much as I did. It, it, she's she's a fantastic lady, and um, she's done so much and. Like I said, she's qualified for three races next year. Um, amazing, absolutely amazing. So, yeah, somebody to look up to. She inspires us all in our club, and um, yeah, it's great having her around. So, lifestyle hack for episode 35 is water. And I've listened to quite a, a range of stuff about water, and I came to realise how important this stuff is. Um, especially in our bodies as we're made up of about 80% of it so what type of water we consume seems to really matter um, so after learning a little bit more I decided to get myself a TDS meter and do some testing and for those of you who don't know what a TDS is it's a bit of a it's a bit of kit that measures total dissolved solids uh, and this can range from between zero up to over a thousand and the more well the higher the score the more dissolved solids you've got in your water now this just gives you an actual reading uh, like quantitative reading but it doesn't actually tell you what those solids are and tap water they generally add quite a lot of different things to it such as chlorine and fluoride um, to get rid of all the nasty bugs and things that um, the process the water has to go through so I tested my own water which was round about 400 ppm parts per million and then I got a range of bottle waters and tried those out and they've come out between 75 and about 300 but again we still don't know what those um, TDS's are um, just that it's a lower quantity so my reckoning is that if you buy a good mineral water um, then from a reliable source so it's bottled at source then you can be pretty sure that the um, TDS's in there will be natural minerals uh, and they shouldn't have added anything in there but unless you got your water tested you'll not actually know and I haven't done that um, so that's that part of it and I'm quite happy I'm drinking bottled water now the thing I'm not so much happy about is that all the bottled waters that I've come across are in plastic now the issue with plastic is several fold and the biggest one is the environmental uh, aspect of it where yeah some of it gets recycled but a lot of it doesn't and a lot of it isn't able to. 
The second issue I've got with plastic bottles and water is that the plastic bottles themselves leak microscopic synthetic polymer particles into the water. So I've so I've found out. Um, so that's not good for us either. So the best thing is to try and source your water if you were going to go down this route, either from source, which for me isn't really available because when I went on to springwater.com, the nearest one was in Cheshire, um, which is a bit of a trek to go and get your water, or buy glass bottled water. And to be honest, there isn't that much about and it's mega expensive. So, unfortunately at the moment, I'm, I'm having to compromise. And although the water is better than tap water, unfortunately what it's in isn't. And that's the compromise. And I'm hoping, and I don't know this, it's just a, just like I say, it's a hack. I'm hoping that the water that we're drinking in the bottles is better for us than the water out of our taps. One day I might do a test to see actually which which is the best. So that's it. So that's the lifestyle hack. Quite a lot to think about. So that's it for another episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed Karen's story. And thank you again for listening. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can drop us an email at agegroupmultisportpodcast at gmail.com or you can message me on Instagram direct messages at amp underscore 1967 you can follow us on facebook at amp gb and you can listen to all the other podcasts at our website which is agegroupmultisportpodcast.buzzsprout.com you can also find us on youtube at amp gb and we're on twitter at agegroupmultisportpodcast And that's it for another episode. So just remember, stay safe, keep training.